Well, good evening, everybody. It is so good to be here with you guys. I just love worshiping um, in this environment where we have everybody on the same level. It's so special to see you worshiping, to hear your voices. I don't think I've ever heard you sing this loud. It's probably the most um, I've heard from you. And it's just so comforting to hear your voices rise to worship Jesus. And I'm going to carry that moment with me for a while. Um, Tonight, we're going to continue our study in the book of Mark. But before we get there, I just wanted to just share with you a little bit of my story. I uh, am a, um, a person who grew up farm adjacent. So I, I wasn't a farmer. My uh, grandfather was a farmer. My great-grandfather was a farmer. As far back as we can trace our family, we were farmers. But when it came to my dad, the farming stopped, okay? And whatever gene that my grandfather and my uncle and all of our extended family has when it comes to farming, it just did not get passed down to me. Like I have the opposite of a green thumb. Like whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, I don't have it. Like I, I kill plants, like I don't grow them. They just die on my watch. And so when we hear stories that Jesus told that are agricultural, I sometimes have a really tough time like wrapping my mind around them because I don't understand plants. Uh, and so tonight we're gonna be talking about one of Jesus's most famous parables, the parable of the sower. We're going to be talking about how it applies to our life. And there's going to be some metaphors that we will be using that are sometimes hard for us to kind of put our minds around because we live in cities and we just don't really spend a lot of time with plants unless you have like a small garden in the back like I do. Like I try every, every uh, summer, I try to grow something and it just dies immediately. So tonight we're going to have to like do some work to actually kind of make this come alive tonight. So I've got some illustrations. We're going to be getting to these in just a minute. But if you got a copy of the scriptures with you, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter uh, 4. Mark chapter 4. And we're going to read the parable of the sower, and then we're going to unpack what it means for us, okay? So start with me in verse 2. He, being Jesus, taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. And then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. At that point, Jesus closed up shop and was done for the day. Now, could you imagine going to church and hearing that and that's all you get? You get no explanation. I'm sure you would have been thinking, all right, Jesus, what did it really mean? Like, what are you saying in this story about soil and some of it growing up and others not? Like, what do you mean by that? And that actually happens in the story. Jesus' disciples come to him and say, hey, Jesus, please explain that because we don't get it. Help us understand 
what's going on in the story. And so we find ourselves in the same place that they were in. In fact, many of Jesus' parables are hard to understand because we don't understand parables. We don't really talk the way that Jesus did. So let me just give you a little bit of a theological primer on what a parable is, okay? Jesus taught in parables all the time. We don't understand them very well. So this is what parables are. A parable is a story with a point. So Jesus would tell these stories and they always have a point. And it's important to understand what the main point of the story is. Otherwise you miss the parable. Sometimes you can read too deeply into a parable and miss the point. Sometimes you can miss the point altogether. And this point we'll get to in a moment as we unpack Jesus' explanation of this story. So Jesus says, there is someone sowing seed and the seed is the gospel. The gospel is the seed. The sower's throwing it everywhere. And in this time that Jesus is living, seed is really scarce. You just didn't like waste it. You would plant it very carefully. But Jesus says this sower is just throwing it everywhere because he wants it to take root. And so the sower sows it and it falls on four different kinds of soil. We find these soils represented right here. We'll get to those in just a moment, okay? Now, um, this soil is people. So when you think of the soil, don't think situations, think people who respond to the gospel message. And the first one you see is the path. I have my hand here. I feel like I'm like in Lion King, oh, right? Uh, <laughs> right here in this jar, I have some sand representing the path. You can't grow anything in sand, right? Everyone here has been to the beach at some point. How many plants do you see in the, in the sand? None, right? Because that's... That's what we find at the beach. There's just complete lack of vegetation. And here you find this representation of the path. And Jesus tells us about the path. If you look with me, just jump down just a little bit. Look with me in verse 14. He says this. It says, the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. So Jesus says, some are like the path and the roots can't even begin to grow because Satan comes and steals away the gospel message from some people. Now, some of you are saying, well, that sounds incredibly unfair. Can some people hear the gospel and not respond to it? Jesus here is not getting into Calvinism or Arminianism, what he's doing here is he's simply explaining that some people have made their life so difficult that the gospel cannot penetrate into it. And Satan has access to their life and will steal away the gospel message so they cannot hear. And Jesus is not threatened by that. Jesus knows that there are some who will not respond to his message he knows that some people will hear the gospel. They'll hear Jesus say God's message directly to them and they will not respond. I think a lot of us believe that if Jesus was here, then we would believe. Like if Jesus would just do a miracle, then I would believe. Or if Jesus would just preach to us directly, then we would believe. But the people in front of Jesus would hear the message and still reject him. 
And Jesus was not intimidated by that. He knew that it was part of the experience that people were going to have with him. Some would hear the gospel message and believe. Others would hear the gospel message and reject it. So when you see people that you live among reject the message, know that they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. Let your heart be broken for them, but don't see them as the adversary. We have one adversary and one enemy. It is not our friends that don't believe in Jesus. Our enemy is Satan and he is real and he seeks to steal people's faith in Jesus. And our hearts should break for them and hope that someday that their hearts would not be so hard, that they would be open to hearing the gospel message and that it would take root in them. Now, the second soil is this, rocky ground. This one's heavy. If you can see it, I don't know if everybody can see it in here, but there is, um, this, in this jar, there's a bunch of field stone and some soil on top. And Jesus said this about that kind of soil. Verse 16, he says, others are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root they are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. This is one of the most heartbreaking situations that I see as a pastor. People who hear God's word and they say all the right things and they are excited about Jesus and they come to church and they get the Bible with their name inscribed on it and they, they like are so fired up for Jesus and people sometimes platform them like, wow, this is an incredible testimony. And then a couple years later, you look for them and you don't see them in church. They're gone. You know, Jesus says that that is not necessarily an uncommon occurrence because there are some who hear the word of God and then receive it, but they are not willing to put down roots to go deep, to make their faith their own. And when hard times come, man, it's gonna be really hard for them to be faithful. You know, COVID, I think, was a great accelerator of this. You know, COVID gave everybody an excuse to not do stuff that they didn't wanna do. They're just like, oh, COVID. They just played the COVID card. Do you know people like that? They're like, I can't do that because of COVID. And so you know, I have friends who stopped going to church during COVID because like, I don't know, I might get COVID, there's people singing. And then you look at their Instagram and they're at a concert, like just like going at it, right? It's like COVID was selectively keeping them from things. And I believe that one of the things that we've seen during COVID is that it's been a great revealer of things that were broken. Some of my friends that I was on staff with at church do not currently pursue Jesus Christ because COVID pulled them away from community. The persecution of the world, not against their faith, but simply the hardship of life kept them from being in community and they no longer follow Jesus because their faith was not deeply rooted. But the sad news is many of us think that this is enough, that we simply show some sort of growth quick growth. We celebrate it. But if our life is not deeply rooted in Jesus, when hard times come, it will be exposed. Now, the third kind of fruit uh, of soil is this, which is soil that is good, but is um, infested with thorns. And what Jesus said about this is he says this, he says, others are like seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires 
for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus says, there are some who receive the word that takes root and begins to grow, but then there are thorns among them that choke them out. And Jesus describes those things as two specific things that can choke out your faith. The first one is this, which is the worries of this age. Simply put, there are things that can concern our heart so much that we are not willing to follow Jesus. That could be like keeping our kids alive if you're married, right? You become so obsessed with your children and, and making sure that they have a better life than you, that they are thriving, that you no longer pursue Jesus with all your heart. Make no mistake, the world is coming after your kids. Some of you guys don't have kids. You haven't even met the person that you wanna have kids with yet. You don't even know what they would look like. You, you're, you're terrified that you might meet them here tonight. Like literally, kids are the last thing on your mind. But just know this, the world specifically Youth sports is coming for them, okay? I'm in that spot where my kids are now being pursued by not just like um, academics, but sports because they're getting really good at it. And if we're not careful, they will be in every sports league and every activity and they will not go to church. And so I have to choose now to say like, I'm not gonna... I'm not going to sacrifice their walk with Jesus so they can get a D1 scholarship because it's highly likely they won't because they're related to me, okay? <laughs> but if I'm not careful, I can put my hope in them being popular or them having the things that I didn't have and that they'll be more fulfilled than me and I can pursue that. And that's simply a worry of the world that ultimately will not satisfy them or me. So... We have to be on guard that the worries of the world will not choke out our faith. But then Jesus says this also. He says, the deceitfulness of wealth is a thorn that can choke out your faith. And let me just say that that's a word for Brentwood, Tennessee, okay? Because we have means in Brentwood, but we have means in Nashville. I mean, pretty much everybody you know in America is wealthy, I threaten my kids sometimes when they're like complaining about something that they don't have. I'm like, I'm gonna take you to the Dominican Republic or to Haiti and let you see people who really do not have things. But it's easy to point at them, but honestly in my own life, like I can find myself so dissatisfied with stuff. Like the whole world that we live in is constantly telling us that we don't have enough. That's what the, the whole Apple marketing thing is about, right? Like they give you a phone and then they, they change the, the code in it so it no longer works. So you have to get the next thing. And then they mark it and say, oh, that camera's better than this one. It constantly breeds discontent in you. And we say we have to have more so that we can be satisfied. But listen, friend, money will never ultimately fill the desires of your heart. It just doesn't. So you have to decide now how much money will make you happy. How much money? Like, honestly, like the lottery is like such an insidious thing. It shows the desire of my heart. Has anybody ever bought a lottery ticket and then started dreaming what you would do with it? Maybe it's just me. Okay, safe space, right? Maybe I'm the only one who's ever done that. But like, I bought a lottery ticket one time and I was like, okay, God, because I've been faithful, you're gonna let me win the $500 billion that I'm gonna get from this. And then I started thinking about spending it already. Like, no one else has done this. 
Okay, like four of you are like honest tonight. Like I started spending it. I was like, first I would tithe because I'm a good Christian, okay? Then I'm gonna go buy a Ferrari, okay? Because it's really about the thing that I think will make me happy. And then I started thinking like, all right, so I could like do some church planning, but then also I want the big beach house. Like I started thinking about all the things that would make me happy that were materialistic. Because I have bought into the lie that if I have more things, then I will be happy. But when we really look at the people who are the most wealthy, they're not any happier than you are. Some are deeply unhappy. Why? Because money cannot buy satisfaction. It cannot buy happiness. So today you need to choose what's going to make you happy. Is it going to be money or is your happiness going to be found in something else? Because Nashville will tell you, you'll be happy when you are successful and when you have things. And all those things are simply thorns. Now, the last of the soils is the good soil. The good soil, Jesus says in verse 20, he says, and those like seed sown on good ground, hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown. So Jesus says, those who are good soil receive the word of God and allow it to bring about fruit 30, 60, and 100 times. Now fruit, if we're gonna define fruit tonight, we need to understand what that is. Fruit is both results in your life where you're creating others who also follow Jesus, but it's also faithfulness. It's looking like Jesus. And if you're somebody who's gonna be a follower of Jesus, you have to have fruit. You have to have evidence of the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's how you know your good soil. But I think for many of us, um, if you're like me, we assume that we're good soil. Like, of course I am. All the rest of you guys are sinners, but I, I'm good soil. And I just want to gently just press against you tonight to just simply ask yourself the question, am I? Francis Chan says, don't assume that you are good soil. We have to look at our life and say, do I have rocks that are keeping me from following Jesus? Do I have thorns that are choking me out? And if I do have rocks, then what I need to do is I need to remove them. Because I can't control a lot of things in my life, but I can prepare my heart so that it is good soil. So that when God brings his word to me that I will be available to hear it and respond. So when I think about rocks, I often think of things that would keep us from going deep. For some of us, the rocks are simply not being in Christian community. Like we're too busy going on trips or doing other things. We don't go deep because we don't allow anybody to come alongside us. For you, perhaps, You may have to remove some things, some friendships out of your life so that you can have nothing keeping you from going deeper in your faith. So you may have rocks that you need to remove. Others, we may have thorns. And the thorns, the only way that you ultimately get rid of them is when you catch them before they are fully grown. You see, when they're fully grown, they're already choking you out. You have to choose to remove them at the seed stage. When you see them beginning to grow in your life, you have to say, I'm going to not 
allow them to sprout because I want to be good soil. So we have to get rid of the rocks and we have to get rid of the thorns. But I think there's one other thing that we need to have if we want to be good soil. And that simply is this. The nature of good soil is that there has been death and resurrection present in it. So I did some research about soil because I obviously don't know anything about farming. And I don't know much about soil, although I know that it's important for anything to grow. But I found that there's this guy named Vasily Dukachev, who's a Soviet farmer and scientist, who was the very first person who really studied soil. And he found that the best soil, this dark, rich soil, kind of like this, that grows almost anything, they call it liquid, I'm sorry, <laughs> liquid dirt uh, is, is like one of the terms that they call, for, call it, but they also call it like dark gold. And they say this specific kind of soil that grows almost anything, it's found only in certain places in the world. The reason why it's different than everything else is because at one point there was a lot of vegetation and a lot of animals that lived there and they died. That's what makes it good soil. There was death there. And I can't help but think that many of us do not put things to death in our life so that God can do something powerful in us because we're chasing dreams that we hope will satisfy us. And God says, I want that dream and I want you to trust me with it. Following Jesus sometimes saying, uh, means saying, Jesus, I'm willing to put to death anything that'll keep me from following you. But it's not simply death that brings Transformation, it's resurrection. You see, the one who made it possible for us to have the gospel message take root in our life is Jesus, who died and then was raised again. And if you ask him, he will create good soil in your life. If you ask him, he will bring about transformation within you that is supernatural. And that's what I wanted to spend the last minute talking to you about. Some of us have simply been trying harder to be good soil, but it's not enough. We have to die. We have to give ourselves fully to Jesus so that he can resurrect us and bring life from death. This here is a picture of death and life that's come from it. And that's what God wants to do in your life. You may have had dreams that God is asking you to give to him and it may feel like they're dying, but he wants to resurrect them in new and better ways. Why? Because Jesus is a resurrecting God. There may be identity that someone has spoken over you that is a broken, malformed, twisted Identity that you have internalized and Jesus wants you to let that identity die so he can resurrect something new in you, which is that he has called you his own, his son or his daughter. He wants you to believe the gospel and let it come alive within you. That's what it means to be good soil. To believe that God can do what he says he can do. He can bring life where there was only death. And he can bring something new in you. So tonight, our 120 seconds moment is simply a question. You have to wrestle with it. 
am I good soil? Am I good soil? And it's okay to say like, I'm not. I'm like, feel like I'm like the path tonight or I feel like I'm rocky ground or I feel like the thorns are choking me out. But if your desire tonight is to be good soil, you can ask Jesus to create that in you. And so just sit in this moment and hear the Holy Spirit call you to remove some things or to, to, to remove some thorns. Why? Because it's worth it to be the person that God wants you to be. Jesus, in this room, there are people who are really wrestling with this question. Am I good soil? God, I pray that you would create in all of us lives that are available to hear your word and respond to your calling that you remove things from our life that would keep us from knowing you. That you remove things that are choking out our faith so that we can hear your word and become who you've made us to be. Good soil. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.